The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of wisdom. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil bow down before the good, the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. In a multitude of people is the glory of a king, but without people a prince is ruined. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. 
Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. A servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. There's a saying that says that men are like pickup trucks. They drive straightest and they have the best traction when you put a big load in the back of the pickup. And this is kind of like one of my favorite Proverbs, which is today, Proverbs 14.4, which says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Such a great uh, uh, proverb because he's saying that if you want to have a clean life, think about this in terms of your whole life. If you want to have a well-ordered, clean, uh, neat and tidy life where you don't have to worry about what you're going to do in the morning for work or where you, you know, figuring things out, complications, things like that, then don't have an ox because an ox is going to produce a lot of waste. An ox is going to have a lot of poo. An ox is going to maybe kick your door and make you fix your fences and your doors all the time. And so he says the manger will be clean. You can eat off the floor. It'll be nice. You could make the manger into a, uh, you know, outdoor dog trot for your house where you have guests over and eat meals. And But you're not going to have the ox. And the thing about the ox, it may produce a lot of poo, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now, this is like so many areas of life. You know, men uh, uh, needing to be encouraged to start families and not just to traipse around and kind of do their own thing in their youth. Uh, and other kinds of areas of life where... Um, we need to be encouraged to pick up a load. We need to be encouraged to say, hey, do something in your life. Now, when you do that, if you want to start a business, if you want to have a family, if you want to do something that matters, you're going to have to work on a team. These are all examples of oxen, which are going to cause problems and your your life is not going to be neat and tidy anymore. Thinking about kids, kids are the, the biggest one. Talk about having a legacy that goes fr from your life into the future and, and your kids will be the ones who take care of you when you're old, God willing, and they'll be the ones who um, you really get the most chance to pass on your faith to and your work ethic and, and how to live and all these kinds of things. Of all the people in your life, it's gonna be your kids. But talk about poo. You're gonna have literal poo. You're gonna have figurative poo the whole time, but abundant blessings, abundant crops are going to come because you're willing to pick up that load. So my encouragement to you and the Proverbs encouragement here is, hey, if you don't want to do anything with your life, if you don't want to work, if you don't want to be cleaning up messes all the time, then don't go buy an ox. But you're never going to have abundant crops. You're not going to have abundant blessings unless you're willing to pick up the shovel. God bless you. Thank you.
God is the giver of all good gifts. There's a scripture which says, you know, do not be deceived. Every good thing comes from the Father of lights. And we were studying in a small group last night in the book of Philippians 2. Came across this section where he talks about that we should be lights in the world. He says, do all things, writing to the church in Philippi, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in that day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That's Paul writing. And Paul's in prison, and Paul's saying how, hey, even in my imprisonment, this has worked out to be good, chapter 1, saying how throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, they know that my imprisonment is for Christ. And he says it's made other Christians confident to speak the word to in their own life and know that even if you're imprisoned, you're imprisoned for Christ. And this is what um, comes to my mind. It's the idea of common grace. Now, every good gift comes from God, period. Marriage, family, good food, good cultural practices and traditions, the arts and creativity, hard work, uh, you know, hospitality, generosity, mercy. Those things are not belonging only to Christians. It's really clear for those of us who are Christians to understand that. There are those outside of Christ, not followers of Christ, who really, really love their children, really sacrifice for other people. They, they, I, I know a, a family who escaped from Iran, and they spend a lot of their time, energy, and resources trying to help those who are still there um, have women's rights and, and all kinds of other things. Very merciful, very generous. They're atheists. And so this is the question I have. How do Christians shine as lights in the world in a crooked and twisted generation? And we need to be clear with ourselves, looking in the mirror, looking at ourselves, and say, do I feel like I have a blessing from God because of things which are really more common grace? Common grace is the idea that the whole world is experiencing some amount of God's grace, of his peace, of his breath of life, so to speak. So in these areas, for instance, in family, we experience God's great blessing as Christians. But we need to also realize that those who are outside of Christ enjoy that as well and not think to ourselves, wow, I'm really shining the light of Christ because I love my family. Well, you are. But also there are others who are doing very similarly and they're outside of Christ. They are enjoying the common grace, not the grace that comes from God through Christ. What about if your business is doing well? It's easy. I hear Christians say a number of times they're expressing how they feel that God is really pleased with them because their business is doing well, because they're being blessed. They're being blessed financially. Now, let me ask you a question. Are Christians the richest people in the world? Are the richest people in the world primarily Christians? The answer to that is no. And the answer to that is that that is nowhere to be found in the Bible as a sign of God's favor or of his, of, especially of Christian maturity. Yes, in some senses, it's a sign of his favor in terms of that you've sown wisdom and that you're reaping some of the benefits of that, especially in a Proverbs and Ecclesiastes type of uh, way that, that Solomon talks about. 
and I think that Christians who are faithful will tend to succeed at the things that they they uh, attempt because of having good character and re- the relationships and the way that you should be. But no, that is not a sign because that is a common grace thing. You are not shining the light in the world simply because you run a good business. What about your generosity? Well, it's the same thing. Yes, you are shining that light of, uh, of, of being a Christian by being a generous person, by being merciful to people who are in a worse situation than you. But, however, there are many, many kind, generous, and merciful people who are outside of Christ as well. And so what is the key there? Well, Christ, it says here in in chapter 2, we need to have the mind of Christ who is so humble that he put off his equality with God in order to become a person, in order to be born, well, he was a person, but in order to be born as a human in the form of a servant, it says. And so we need to have this mind of humility that's like Christ to where we don't only look to our own interests first, but first to the interests of others. We need to do this corporately as churches so that when people come, they say, wow, I see a lot of communities that say this is what they want to do, but you guys really have it. And number three, God will probably prepare you for a time in which you're going to have enemies falsely accusing you imprisoning you perhaps depending on your place in the world doing things to you in which you can now react not simply with justice and explain how you were right and it was not right for this thing to happen to you and that but rather in humility putting off even the need for justice and saying I will I love my enemies I'm going to pray for my enemies as Jesus did. I'm going to do as Jesus did on the cross and say, Father, I don't hold this against them. Jesus also talks about inviting people to your house who can never afford to invite you over. Don't just invite your friends and your wealthy friends. Invite the crippled and the lame and the poor, and then you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He also says, lend money to people who you know can't afford to pay it back. And I'm guessing he also means that you call them and tell them, hey, you know what, that thing I lent you, forget about it. It's, 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 under, the ta- it's under the bridge. It's, it's, it's gone. I, I don't consider that anymore. And hey, would you come over for lunch? He talks about this is the mind of Christ, that we don't only do what seems to be merciful, generous, take care of our family, run a good business, uh, be a good employee, all these kinds of things, but that there will be situations that we'll be placed in where we have the opportunity to really shine as lights and be like Christ with a word in season, with good teaching, with the word. And that's the final thing I'll leave you with. When you do good works, if you do not give glory to God, if you do not give glory to Christ as a Christian, then you have taken on the glory for that good deed that you did. When you built a hospital for starving, orphaned, Uh, AIDS victims, and you did not give God the glory as the giver of all good things, for you and in God's sight, it is sin because you took that upon yourself. Whatever is not from faith is sin. And uh, in this scripture we looked at here, Philippians 2, uh, it says something similar there, talking about how you may shine as lights of the world, holding fast to the word of life. We need to hold fast so that along with the good things that we're doing, shining that light, 
We know why we're doing them. We're doing them because we're in Christ. We're doing them because our Father is the giver of good gifts and He's holy and we are to be holy like Him. We're doing these things because we also are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we have a never-ending stream of this kind of sacrificial energy coming from God Himself. And we give glory to Him through our words explicitly so that it's clear that we want others to join us in our fellowship with the Father. So hold fast to that word of life, even as you do these good things, because these are good things, but they can either become idols or they can cause us to look to ourself and think that we have done enough. And none of those things are true. Hold fast to the word of life and be a light that shines in the world in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation.